Hello, everyone, and welcome to Back of the Grid. I'm your host this week, Chris, and I'm joined by Stu. Hello. And Tom's poorly this week, unfortunately. He's uh, He's got a broken voice, which is not good for That's podcasting. No, no use for recording podcasts. It no. is not. So just the two of us this week to talk about the Miami Grand Prix. And we've not really spoke about it at all since. So I'm really interested to see what what you made of that as a race, as an event. Yeah. Uh, oh, Wow. I mean, let's. I mean, there's, let's say, there's, let's say there's as a race. Two questions. Let's, yeah, yeah, let's two, say as a race to start with. Two questions there, and as an event, I have one opinion. As a race, <laughs> um, as a race, it was it wasn't half bad. I thought it was all right. Race It was pretty good. I thought it was nice and finely. But to be fair, I thought the Azerbaijan Grand Prix wasn't that terrible. I know not a lot happened, but I did find it quite poised for a lot of it. Hmm. It just, the poise never actually turned into anything. Whereas I think the difference with this race is probably the poise did amount to uh, an overtake the lead, which is not something you get every day in Formula One. No, it's not. It. Yeah, I, I feel like I maybe liked Baku a bit more than the average person. And I feel like I liked this one a bit less than the average person. Like I get, like there were sixty overtakes, which is the most of any race this season by like a long way. I think Bahrain had thirty-seven. That's the next. Hmm. I, I don't know. I there, there was a lot going on, but a lot of it kind of felt a little bit inconsequential, almost, or it was more just kind of you were watching people shuffle back into the order you expected them to be in. Perhaps I don't know. Maybe I'm being overly harsh. Maybe Something didn't quite click bit. with this race for me. I yeah I can I can see that I, and I feel like we didn't see like of of all the action that was going six I wouldn't have believed that there was sixty overtakes in that no. race from that that's to be fair half of them were probably Leclerc and Magnussen just going backwards and forwards <laughs> I mean that I would have loved to have seen I'd have been on board for watching that that would have been entertaining but um I feel like a lot of the f- coverage was kind of like pinned on the the re- the two Red Bulls because yeah. obviously the, the narrative of the race was. Will he catch him? Won't he catch him? When he does catch him, will he be able to overtake him? So the whole thing was kind of building up to that. And um, yeah, we didn't really get an awful lot of everything else. And I guess as well, like when there's a story like that unfolding in a race anyway, and it is poised for that big event leading up towards the end, then you do tend to, even as an audience member, you do tend to kind of concentrate on that. because Yeah, what for sure. Your, well, that's what your focus is being taken up by. So, um, yeah, it's nice to see that there was all those overtakes. I, I should really check check out some of the highlights and watch those <laughs> actual overtakes as they happen because I haven't seen many of them. Let's, before we get into the race itself, we've sort of touched on it already, but the event, everything around it, all of the intro gubbins. I mean, lots of the drivers have already said it just felt completely unnecessary i think it was george russell said it was just an unwanted distraction yeah um it i mean none of them seemed particularly happy to be doing it no i think that was probably part of the problem i think it it seems to me especially with reports coming out that you know this week they're now saying that the faa are going to consult with drivers for future pre-race events it's like well clearly they didn't consult them on this one then did they yeah. and that would be why they probably all looked a little bit unhappy with what was happening because when you when as i understand it they were all told that they had to be in the pit lane half an hour before they usually would 
which means that they're stood in the sun in their race gear, you know, that's not like a cool situation to be in when you're when you're no. literally covered in you're basically covered in cotton the entire time in the blazing hot sun of Miami. So that can't have been comfortable. Um, obviously, a lot of them are walking around wearing their ice pack waistcoat kind of things. Um, yeah, I thought it felt a little bit forced. Would be it, my if I were to sum it up in a sentence. It did, and it just feels like they're putting all of this time and effort and money into hyping the event again, but if you hype things up and hype things up and then the event doesn't deliver, people aren't going to come back next time just for the hype. But again, it comes back to what we were talking to Elizabeth about a few weeks ago, where it's like their approach to America, particularly at the moment, just seems to be very short-sighted. Like they're not really thinking about the longevity of people wanting to come back there. Like they still had, this definitely wasn't a sellout as much as they liked Trump at the number of people there. It wasn't a sellout. Really? No. The um, way, like, because I think they even announced, like, the number, because they announced that they'd sold more, that they'd made more tickets available Yeah. this year by, like, something like 8,000, I think, per day more tickets. So in the end, I think, like, they said that 230,000 people attended over the weekend. But I, I suspect the tickets that didn't sell were probably all the VIP ones because obviously this event leans very heavy on the the VIP package. Like, did you see that photo of a menu that was knocking around on the internet? No, what was in that? In like, in one of the VIP hospitality things, it was like the, the food menu in there and it was something ludicrous like nachos for four people was like $250. Like, it was just... <laughs> mind-blowingly stupid prices it's like people aren't gonna come back to do that why very odd like what 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 like why i don't what (laughs) again it's it's why why that expensive for nachos that's really strange because they can because they think people will pay it and it's their aim and it's at the same people who you know buy a box at an nfl game or buy front row seats at an nba game like that's the kind of people they're trying to get there and as whether that will work, time will tell, I suppose. But yeah, it's just very strange. A very, a very strange event once again. Um, oh, here we go. What else is on this menu? Oh, there we go. There's a picture of the menu. Um, Let's bring it over here so I can see it. Um, what else have we got? <gasps> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Watermelon and tomato salad, $250. Does serve four people, though. So, you know. Oh, oh, my goodness. This is insane. Yeah. Main lobster rolls, 450 bucks with lemon aioli, truffle, brioche, and fizzled potatoes. <laughs> what do they fizzle them in? Like <laughs> gold, gold, I would hope, for $450. <laughs> U5 um, chilied prawn, $500. And that just has mustard sauce and cocktail sauce. Oh, you get two sauces for your five hundred dollars. That's nice. That is that is wild. That it's is madness. It's absolute absolutely madness. Absolutely wild. Like who who in their right mind? Maybe like yeah, I've been watching Succession <laughs> lately. <laughs> this this feels like the Succession menu. 
This is not like even if you're a VIP going to Formula One, you this see like fairly normal people with VIP tickets, right? Like we've been to VIP at Silverstone, and unless you've got like the absolute, you know, the special golden ticket that you can get, the VIP tickets are not like. Yeah, they give you access to like some nice places and stuff, but there's there's there are relatively normal people with VIP tickets. The, who these are the sort. That. These are the sort of tickets that you don't go and buy. They're the sort of tickets that are offered to you. Like, these ones aren't advertised anywhere. You have to know people who know people. Well, maybe they... Maybe... Well, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe, like... Maybe they've got to pay for these tickets somehow. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) That's how... Wow. I mean, that's literally more than, like... A punter ticket for general admission for Silverstone. We could we I think when we food. went to Budapest, we had a whole weekend in Budapest and saw a race for less than some of the things on that food yeah. menu, including the flights. Like yeah, <laughs> absolutely crazy. Wow, we've dragged this one out way too far. Let's keep going. We have, and just imagine what Vegas is going to be like. Like this is Miami, which is like ridiculous in itself. Vegas is going to be something else. Yeah. Oh, it. Ugh. Anyway, it's, should we talk about some race cars? We can, but I just want to say that that is kind of gross, that menu. It's horrible, yeah. It's bizarre. That's not the world I want to live in. (laughs) Right, let's talk about some race cars. Um, This was probably the best opportunity Perez could have asked for to take the lead of the championship after Charles Leclerc once again ruined (laughs) qualifying for Max Verstappen. I love Leclerc's strategy of out-qualifying Verstappen by crashing. That's worked for him. On many occasions over the last couple of years. Um, it's an interesting strategy, Buzz. Let's see if it plays out. <laughs> it didn't play it well for Leclerc, but we'll get to that. Uh, yeah, Verstappen started down in ninth, but in the end, he just looked unbeatable. Um, in, in, I think in a lot of ways, he won that race in the opening stint. Perez was on the mediums and didn't really manage to pull a massive gap, whereas Verstappen just sighed through the field, starting on hards. Uh, he took second place on lap 15 and he was only 3.7 behind. Like to, mm. to be overtaking people on the harder tyre and to only have that gap is unbelievable. Like the decision to start on hards ultimately was what won in that race, I think. And I just th- how well he think, treated them. Yeah, I think so. But also like <clears throat> the other the other factor that, that sort of plays into this is... No one really quite knew how long the medium was going to last. So not many long runs done at all in practice. Hardly any, hardly any long runs in practice. So bear in, bear that in mind because obviously Perez starting on the medium tire then gives Red Bull all the information about how long the medium tire is going to last. So Verstappen had the inherent advantage of knowing how hard he was going to be able to push the medium tire from the get go, whereas. Perez, you know, people, there's a lot of talk, people saying, oh, you know, go straight back down this like dark alley of Perez can't hold a candle to Verstappen. When I I think there's nuance to this. I don't think it's as simple as Verstappen was just so much quicker than Perez. I think there's definitely an element of strategy and data gathering that was happening during the race that that information was being obviously fed back to the team and they were using that. To, to get their car to the front and there's you know I have no problem with Verstappen winning and no problem with the way he did it and no problem with how that played out because that is just that's just racing sometimes sometimes you don't have all the information and you end up volunteering whether you mean to or not you end up volunteering 
information yeah. to other competitors and it just so happens that his biggest competitor is in the same team as him gets even more information knows exactly yeah. how hard he can push the tire and therefore you know huge 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 advantage for for verstappen i think at that point way more than what's been played up so yeah yeah i don't think it's like quite as cut and dry it's for the not. championship as what a few people seem to think it is and also Perez kind of had no choice but to start on the mediums as well, especially with Alonso yeah. on the front row. The last thing Perez needed was getting yeah, jumped he, by Alonso at the start. He had to start on the faster tyre. Exactly. Um, you don't, if, if he gets bogged down by Alonso, then he's already lost the race. Yeah, you know? it's done. I mean, look at all you have to do to know that is look at the way Verstappen was able to catch up so, and, yeah, and exactly. side through the, through the field the way he did. So, yeah, I think... Probably in hindsight, and I think you could see at the end of the race that Perez was kind of kicking himself for not pushing a lot harder on those tyres at the yeah. start of the race. The trouble was the track evolution was crazy as well. Yeah. Like they'd had rain overnight that had washed away most of the rubber. You've got no support series running there. So Perez is trying to get a softer tyre working while the track is essentially still rubbering in. Whereas when Verstappen's yeah. on the medium tyre, he's got you know a race two thirds of a race distance is worth of rubber down. Yeah, um, it's a it's a huge strategy fluff from the Perez side of the garage, but unfortunately, it at the time that they created the strategy, it was the best strategy for him to win the race. Yeah, it just so happened that the information wasn't there to tell them that it was the wrong strategy until after the race. Yeah, kind of a rock and hard place situation, yeah. really. Um, yeah. Obviously, in in a way, it's a blow to Perez. Like it would have been great for him to get a win and take the championship lead, put the authority down. That being said, the gap's still only 14 points. I think, I don't think a lot of people would have expected Perez to be that close after this many races. So he's, he's still very much in there. I think he's, yeah, he's absolutely in the mix. This can still go, <laughs> this, this, we're not even a quarter, we're just a quarter <laughs> of the way through the season, aren't we? Oh, this, wow. This is not, um, this is not a clear-cut Verstappen World Championship just yet. We've, We've only seen... 14 points between them. It could go any which way still. I think it'd be foolish to write off oh, Perez this early. Um, we'll move on to Aston Martin. I think mm-hmm. mixed fortunes, it's fair to say. Uh, that I think they tried to be a bit too clever in Q1 and get through on one set of tyres and just kind of misread the way the track was going to evolve. Mm. Alonso scraped through, strolled in, he was out in Q1. Um, almost looked like a smidger overconfidence. I've had a, I've had a few good races and now they're like, yeah, we'll get through one set of tyres. It's fine. We're second fastest team. It kind of bit them a little bit there. Uh, not a particularly good fight back though from Stroll. He only managed to finish 12th in the end. He was he was in a lot of interesting fights, but he didn't really make the progress you'd expect from that car, particularly when overtaking was as possible as it turned out to be there. Yeah, I think a lot of it again is like down to some of its tire management and some of it's just the grip level on this on this circuit did kind of like separate the men from the boys a little bit, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like the guys who can handle the more difficult conditions definitely were the drivers that really sort of you know, they, they, they're the ones that recovered the best, I think, um, from their, you know, out of grid positions. And they're the ones who were able to get the lap time, even in conditions that weren't optimum for Formula One cars, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Um, trying to remember what strategy Stroll did tyre-wise. Uh, where's he gone? Okay, yeah, so he started on hards as well. So he did the same as Verstappen and Hamilton, obviously worked out a lot better for them. Um, they did for him. 
uh, Alonso, as I said, started in the front row, finished third again. That's four podiums in five races for Alonso, which I read earlier is more than his last seven seasons of F1 combined. <laughs> Such an Alonso career stat. Yeah, that's a big time Alonso career stat. I like that stat though. I think it, it just shows you the, you know, the the success that Aston Martin are having this season. I think it's a it's a it's a really fun story that's unfolding. Yeah. As we as we sort of start to get into like the the meat of the season, and um, I'm really interested to see <clears throat> to see whether it or not it can keep going. I'd love to see them, you know, keep developing the car, keep improving, and maybe even, you know, steal wins. I think they'll nick at least one win. I think, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I think definitely still the second fastest team. Baku, I think, a bit of an anomaly for them. Um, they were only third fastest in Baku. <laughs> yeah, happy times for them. Yeah, very good. Mercedes. Mercedes had a weird weekend. Their pace like yo-yoed all over the place. It came and went, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. Um, and then kind of split between the two cars almost in qualifying. Russell ended up sixth on the grid while Hamilton was out in Q two. Um, then it came back to them in the race. Um, they both mm-hmm. had pretty damn good races, lots of like interesting racing, some really good overtakes from them both. Uh, Hamilton's second half of the race in particular, he just kind of Mighty came man. alive and sived through. Um, he ended up sixth with Russell fourth ahead of Sainz, which I think is Russell's best result of the season. Must be. Mm. That He was on the same strategy as Verstappen, yeah. Hamilton was. He was started on the, on the hard and moved on to the medium. Um, and yeah, it just it just shows you what a powerful strategy that turned out to be. I think to start on yeah. thir- from thirteenth in a Mercedes, which we all know is well. I mean, when you look at the times from qualifying from practice, maybe not P one FP one, but the resulting practice sessions after that, it was clear that they had a real they had a real struggle on their hands with that car this weekend. So for it to to come back to them the way it did, I think was surprising for everyone. <laughs> Because, um, you know, after quali, it looked like, you know, they can't wait. I mean, obviously, they can't wait to get the this upgrade that they've got coming in the next couple of, in the next race um, onto the car. And they've done well, to be fair, to still be in, to, to be getting the results that they've had they have. with what they've got. I think they have done well. But now, I mean, really, everything that happens, that's happened up to this point, including this race, yes, it was a successful race for them in the end, but... I, they probably should have been a little bit further up the order. And I mm-hmm. think they'll be just forgetting all these races, get all the focus onto these update upgrades and hoping, hoping, hoping that they get what they're expecting out of them. Because if yeah. they don't, they're, in, they're going to be in real trouble if they don't. They really are. Um, likewise with Ferrari. I mean, Mercedes, Mercedes started the season not seeming to understand the car and it feels like they've, kind of gradually zeroed in on it ferrari seem as far away as they've ever been from understanding this car like both the drivers this weekend have kind of the mask has slipped a little bit the the ferrari everything is fine with ferrari mask has slipped a little bit and both drivers have said they just the, the car's completely unpredictable on the limits they both sound just completely lost with it um I think this is like the advantage Red Bull have got is they've got such a drivable car. It yeah. seems as, as 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 sort of time has worn on and like more more research has been done and more reporting gets done on on that car. The Red Bull seems to have a really 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 nice suspension platform and I you know 
I've said on here for a long time now that a lot of Mercedes problems were around suspension. I was yeah. saying this when they were poor poising, when that first started happening, I was like, this is not an aero. Well, it, obviously the aero is related heavily, but Mercedes seem to have, sus- uh, sorry, Red Bull seem to have suspension that can handle all of those issues, uh, issues and yeah. no one else really seems to have set out on the path of having that right from the get-go in the same way Red Bull did. Mm-hmm. So, and they, yeah. they always have, like, it's, it's obviously a massive oversimplification, but Red Bull always seem to be very good at just having a solid, drivable base to work from. It's almost they just like... They seem to understand better than other teams that in order yeah. to get, for the driver to get the maximum out of the car, they need to be as comfortable as possible and able to predict exactly what that car is going to do every corner in every condition and yeah you know it's difficult to get that right on every corner every single condition but the but the the operating window of the red bull is just so much wider than Mm -hmm. than any other car seems to have that yeah they're able to extract the absolute maximum out of it a lot easier than i think mercedes ferrari aston less so i feel like aston seem to have a, a, a comfortable car to drive as well but probably red bull and aston seem to be the only two that have got a, a platform that's working really really well for their drivers i think it's very telling that baku is a very extreme outliery kind of circuit and that's the one where aston have struggled the most and it's the one where ferrari were the fastest like Fer- the ferrari was so quick around there but that's no good if you're all over the shop, everywhere else. Like, Leclerc's crashes over this weekend. Like, I don't even saw the onboards, but it just went. Like, he was he was being, you know, greedy with the curbs and he was pushing it on the edge. But clearly, like, it just looks like a car that every time you push it to the edge, it's like, is this going to go on me or not? It bites you, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, so, okay, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think Leclerc actually showed in, I think it was, quali or practice i can't remember which one it was um he had it was the first incident he had with the barrier where he took the nose off of it mm-hmm. it might have been practice practice three, three i think that was so he was really smart because the the commentator they had that day on uh, the platform i was watching on james hinchcliffe seemed to think that it, it he didn't seem to understand why he'd gone straight into the barriers rather than try to rescue it but i think what Leclerc did was really smart so instead of trying to rescue it and risking wiping off the whole right hand side of the car across the barriers instead he just braked as hard as he can to get it slowed down as much as he could in a straight line and ended up only taking the nose off yeah which meant that after that there's a lot less of a recovery job to do by the mechanics on that car to get it back on track it ready for qualifying yeah imagine if he'd taken you know both his right hand wheels off then could be all missing the qualifying off of it you're missing qualifying probably at that point especially after fp3 you've got two hours ish to get the yeah the most races to get the get that whole side rebuilt <laughs> and goodness knows what else that's going to do to your gearbox your engine your aero your your cooling bodywork all that sort of stuff your floor so i think it did make the right decision in that moment in practice to to go in a straight line and to to uh to only hit the nose but i yeah. think during qualifying it's a difference obviously it's a different story and you can you're pushing a lot harder and the risk is obviously worth taking because you've got 
all night for them to repair the car. Yeah. As much as you don't want them to have to re- have to repair the car, you've got all night for them to do yeah. it and get it all fixed. So because he did try to save it in qualifying, and he ended up going backwards in and was probably yeah. quite lucky not to uh, do the drive shaft and the gearbox and all of that business. Yeah, that's how bad it could have done, gotten. Mm-hmm. And if and if he had done that in practice three, then he wouldn't be qualifying. Yeah, you exactly. Know? So yeah, so in in a way, he's crashing smart. <laughs> at certain times however but probably times... probably better if he wasn't crashing in the first place <laughs> yeah yeah a, a, a real low for Ferrari there Think, things things are not good there um, things don't sound good at Alpine either um, I mean they put a decent enough weekend together they got a double points finish 8th um, and ninth, which equals their best Result of the season, but it only moves them equal with McLaren on points. They're still a long way from where they were last season when they finished fourth. Um, but the rumblings coming from within that team, like the boss has been piping up a bit, it sounds like a change might be imminent. What that change will look like, it's hard to tell. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Otmar, I think he's a really I do as well. cool guy. I did not understand why he ended up leaving um, Aston Martin. I think a lot of the performance that you see at Aston Martin now is kind of to do with Otmar because he only left towards the end oh, of for last sure, yeah. season, right? Is that right? Uh, yeah. Two seasons now. Uh, no, it was end of, end of last year, I think he left, yeah. Anyone in the Discord got an answer for us <laughs> on that one? <laughs> nope. <laughs> um Either way. Either way. Like, I think, you know, I think he's a, he always seemed like a really, really capable, he does still seem like a very capable team principal and he seems like the right guy for for that kind of job. So it is strange what's happening at Alpine for a team that seemed to have, towards the end of last season, be in a real resurgence and to be sort of you know, doing really, really well. And there was a lot of talk at the start of the season about them potentially having a car that could be doing what Aston's yeah. doing. And it's just, I think, given that they were hyped up so much, yeah, Otmar was at Alpine last year. Um, <laughs> given that they were they were so hyped up at the start of the season, to them be performing this badly and to, to have had some of the issues they've had, like finger trouble and the car just, you know, spontaneously combusting and back yeah. Um, before or during qualifying, I can't, again, I've slept since then. Um, yeah, it's things are not looking great at Alpine. It's 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 it's, it's a hard, They're going through a very very difficult period. Hopefully, once they st- I, they don't even seem to be ex- extracting any performance from their no. cars at all. Like it could be that the package is there. They're just not getting anything out of it, which is why I guess people would be saying, well, it's amateur hour. This that the other. You know, they need to do better. And that's why, so Laurent Rossi, the the head of Alpine, has been saying, like, you know, it's not good enough. Things have changed. There's going to be consequences if they don't, like, live up to it. It just seems a bit premature, a bit short-sighted. Like, I think they need a bit of time to... I mean, I've not really put a clean weekend together until this weekend. Um, As you said, I've had little issues here and there, like... I don't think it's time to start swinging the axe just yet at that team. I think this early in the season, again, we're, we're, 
what a quarter of the way into not like, even less than a quarter of the yeah. way. Yeah. I think sometime in the next race we will be a quarter of the way through yeah. the season. Um, I'm, and I'm sure David will Croft David Croft will tell you the exact lap. That yes, that I'm sure he that's will. That's one thing he loves to do. He loves that. Um <clears throat> yeah, I think there's time for them to recover. I think there's time for them to just get themselves in gear and have a put together a clean weekend. And I, maybe once they do, we might see the true Alpine. Maybe we haven't seen the true Alpine yet. Maybe I'm not sure we have, to be honest. Yeah, um, maybe, there's, maybe there's more to come. Speaking of teams that are struggling and need to <laughs> make some moves, McLaren, man. So This was weird, man. Like They, they were looking so promising. Because they, they made a step forward in Baku and they said the upgrades they bought to Baku had bought a little bit of performance, but they should bring even more once we get to Miami. And they were nowhere. They were out in Q1 by some margin. Like I think that it was only Logan Sargent behind them, I think, in Q1. It was mm. miserable. Um, I mean, they, they didn't really get a chance to do much in the race about it. Uh, Norris got hit by De Vries at the start. They reckon that was costing him two or three tenths a lap. And then Piastri had a break by wire issue that started from like lap six and just struggled with that the whole race. Yeah. I mean, clearly they, they do obviously need more upgrades, but I, I think <clears throat> with this team, like, and this circuit, and I, well, I think with all the teams at this circuit, this circuit has been a, a weird situation this weekend. This is mm-hmm. not a normal, this certainly wasn't a normal race weekend in terms of sort of the way the cars were running, the way the grip level was. You know, all these things, you know, new surface always is difficult for the cars anyway because all the oil comes up from the from the yeah. tarmac and makes makes it the, the, the surface almost more slick. And then as the, as the surface ages, it gets it gets higher grip and gets better up to a point. And then obviously it reaches a limit of age and then it just starts to fall apart and you need to resurface it um, in summary. So no one was really expecting this to happen this no one's really quite expecting that the grip level to be as bad as it was and i think mclaren are one of those teams that got caught out maybe a bit worse than some of the others partly as a result of having a bad qualifying but also you know just not being able to when when they're still getting used to these this big upgrade package that they brought to the car last race i think for this to happen at this circuit with this grip level isn't a massive surprise because they're still kind of getting almost getting to know their b-spec car and you can see if you're going to give them an excuse you can see why it would be difficult to get your car set up for such a low grip level yeah when you've been expecting much better performance from it so i think reserve judgment on mclaren i think imola next race is a much better circuit for them and obviously a more traditional racing circuit so it could be that they get there and and suddenly we see another you know swing back to the positive side of performance for them also the only team to run the soft tire in the race both of them started on the soft so i can only imagine they were hoping for an early safety car and then like switch to the hards and run them until the end it's the only thing i can think of that were trying yeah there. maybe get because they did i mean the line. norris came in on lap four piastri on lap five and then they both did run hards to the end from there but that was more because their hand was forced and there being a convenient safety car for them yeah yeah. Shall we strategy. do should we do drivers of the day? Uh, are we doing Haas or you're not gonna bother with them? Oh yeah, sorry, I skipped over Haas. <laughs> how how could I? So easily done normally, but actually 
they were really good this weekend. Um, fourth place on the grid for Magnussen. I mean, obviously we know there was a red flag towards the end, so a lot of drivers didn't get their final laps in. But even so, that was a some properly quick laps they put in. They, they handled the situation very well. I think they did. The, this is one of the teams that handled the low grip situation and were able to yeah. get their car into a place where, you know, react quickly to it and get their car into a situation where they could maximise the, the conditions. Yeah, totally. Uh, they didn't have the race pace necessarily. Um, Magnussen did give Leclerc an extremely hard time for a while, which was very entertaining. Uh, and he ended up holding on for a point in 10th place. Um it would have been nice to see them score a few more after the weekend they had up to them. But even so, it was a a decent enough showing at, I guess, their home race. They have three now, so... Yeah. <laughs> do we need to make them pick one to be their home home race? Yeah, maybe. Which, which would be... Cl- I think they're based in California, I think, Haas Engineering. Oh, are they? So that's probably Las Vegas, where you would put as their uh... nearest race. I'm, I'm going to look it up now. This is just going to be dead air while I do a quick Google. Or maybe it's going to be somewhere complete. It's going to be in like North Carolina or something. It like is that. North Carolina. Is it? Obviously, is it that was North in the back Carolina? of your head somewhere. It must have been, yeah. 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 Um, so I guess... I guess Miami is the close. Oh, actually, no. Yeah, no, I guess Miami is the close I've got to a home race. So there we go. Yeah. We'll Miami give them that. Be pretty close to that. Yeah. Right. And what about, you know, Williams, Alpha Tauri... Alfa Romeo also ran. Yeah, I couldn't really think of much to point the notes of interest from them, really. I mean, anything you want to add on any of the other teams? Uh, not not massively, no. I think there were, there were some interesting little battles further down the field, but yeah, not nothing of any real consequence. So I think I'm happy to move on. I mean, the most interesting thing from the teams we haven't talked about comes from Driver of the Day, um, and that's Yuki Tsunoda, who qualified not great i think he was only like 17th in what is arguably the slowest car on the grid but again just a battling drive from sonoda um he he took like two or three positions on the opening lap i think um his race pace is really good he finished 11th in the end just outside the points continuing his run of finishing 10th or 11th in every race this season um but another really good drive sonoda's unfortunately he's in an absolute dog of a car but I think Snowder's having a very good season yeah I would agree with that I think Snowder is so he looks pretty comfortable in in his sort of in his in his situation at that team now I, I wouldn't say he looks particularly comfortable in the car because it's a not a particularly nice car to drive, <laughs> no, I'm sure, but no one would be yeah but um I think he does look he looks he's, he seems to be maturing very nicely doesn't he Yes, definitely. he's aging, aging like a fine wine. <laughs> uh, other drivers of the day shouts. I think obviously Verstappen. Yeah, um, you know, Bit yes, of he had, class. He, he he did have the the data advantage, but definitely he had to really deliver the laps and deliver the yeah. lap times and and do the business to to get that win and to beat his teammate in the same car. So, yeah, I think. Um, Verstappen, even though you know he, he did get the, I think he got the one in the in the race, didn't he? he got the real. I think he did, yeah. Um, I, I think Hamilton's worth a shout. Like Hamilton from thirteenth had to get it done on track, had to get some real overtakes done in a car that we know isn't the best in, especially in the technical sort of tight twisties at this circuit. 
on this surface. So yeah, yeah, I think Hamilton had a good strategy and and drove a good race. Um, you've got Magnussen here as well. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> The, the car didn't have the race pace. He kind of went backwards from where he started, but I think it was still a, a really solid drive from him to hold on to get a point. I think he's worth a mention. Um, Russell as well to come fourth in in that car after the weekend they had was a solid one. Yeah. And Alonso, like Alonso to just quietly yeah. like run his race and have a sort of very solid performance. I, I yeah. guess like dr- solid performance doesn't necessarily get your driver of the day, but it's, I think it's worth a mention because Alonso's still doing the business. We're a bit spoiled for choice really this week, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I think I've, I, I'm very happy to give it to Verstappen. I think he nailed it. I think to start a ninth and then, you know, go all the way and get the yeah. win. I think it, that's not happened. According to David Croft, that's not happened that many times. In I think it's the fourth time anyone's come from ninth to win or something ridiculous. <laughs> one one. It's just not a position where people seem yeah. to come back from. To no, I can, I can go with that. It was, I think what impressed me about it was it was a very, very measured drive. Like there was pace and aggression there, but it was kind of, he let it be there when it needed to be but he didn't just yeah. munch his tyres like over trying to get to the front. It was, yeah, I can give it to him. Not very rare we give it to the winner, but on this occasion, I think we can. Yeah, I think so. What move of the day? Uh, Leclerc, uh, sorry, Verstappen passed Leclerc and Magnussen in one move. Was that was good. Absolutely almighty. Move. So good. It was very, it was like, because he was, he was gaining on them into the final, I guess it's the penultimate corner. And he sort of just like held back. It's like, do you know what? I'll let you two do your thing for these yeah. last couple of corners. And then into turn one, it's like, right, I've had enough of this. It Here was high IQ overtake. That it one. was very it was like, good. Very much bide your time, wait until, wait for them to slow each other down and then just whoop, off you go. Um, I enjoyed Leclerc and Magnussen fighting, but that was more of like a multi-lap battle than a, a move in and of mm-hmm. itself. <laughs> um, so have you seen that video of Snowder on lap one as well? It wasn't no, on the broadcast, but... Snowder went around the outside of Stroll and Joe on the entry to that stupid little chicane that should be single file. And he just found his way around both of them. It was, I don't know, not really sure. It was very um, willing from the other two to kind of let him get away with doing it. But it's damn impressive all, all the same. Yeah, he, oh yeah, wow. That, I mean, he's kind of lost the position as well, hasn't he? And then... I think... Uh, no, I think... Got, one of the Alf, because he passed... It was an Alfa Romeo. Yeah, was I it think... Bottas look, then? I think Bottas kind of followed him through almost. Oh no, it wasn't. It was Joe kind of came back at him. It was, was, it was it, very it good was all the same. But it's still good. That is good. That's good content. Um, however, it's, I think it's a double Verstappen award. I think that I think move on the Plural Magnussen has to be. I'm going double ver, and people say we're anti Red Bull and anti Verstappen. Yeah. Look at us, not anti, just not, dishing not out awards left, right, and centre. You know, totally fine. It's totally fine. And then final <laughs> award this week. Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? I mean, I think will I am conducting an orchestra. I was going to say it's obviously something to do with the pre-race shenanigans. I was specifically going to say will I am because. He looked like a man who had never seen someone conducting before, but someone had described to him what a conductor looks like. Yeah. 
He's like, am I doing it right? He's it's like been not, YouTubing people conducting normal. orchestras and then he's just showed up. Yeah, he that was, was a bit so weird. weird. And he, I didn't even recognize it was him either. It couldn't even, he, his goggles were so huge that you couldn't tell. And yeah, he could wearing, be, yeah. Like, could have been race overalls there. as well. So it was kind of like, yeah. Who and have you seen this? this like have you seen the video to like because they've really the, that music is actually like a song that he's written about Formula One and there's like a video for it where he's just really badly green screened into some like CGI it's really bad um I someone's mentioned the Discord something I didn't actually see, but apparently, like... Oh, I heard about this. Jackie Stewart and one of Roger Federer's bodyguards, like, had a bit of a... Like, one of the bodyguards clearly didn't know who Jackie Stewart was and was, like, trying to stop him going through or something. What, American bodyguard at a Formula One race not knowing who a really important figure Weird, in huh? Formula One is? That's, not, that's never happened before, has it? Um, I've got another one. Um, the... The tr- they cut away from the action at one point to show a shot of an American actor, but captioned it at the bottom that it was um, Roger Federer. Oh yeah, when it clearly wasn't. It was it was the I don't know the name of the American actor, but it was some American American actor dude. Like Which, if you're gonna cut away to, yeah, do that at least. At least get the person right. At least get the right name. Yeah, at least get the right person. And the guy was just like, thumbs up, smiling, kind <sighs> of. Yeah, it was very strange. I think at the end as well, just like the amount it te- the amount of time it takes to get from the cool down room all the way back round to the podium in like, I mean, I mean the fact that they have to give him a lift round there in the first <laughs> yeah. place is kind of ridiculous. This time in pretty cool like stretched mini mokes, which I yeah, they were actually like, quite cool. They're quite kind of cool cars, better than the freaking motorcade that they had last year Um, i did i did like as well this time that they put the paddock like inside the stadium like on the pitch like that was actually pretty cool that made a lot more sense but but definitely though like you know what at least there was no at least there's no fia wtf this week that that makes a nice change yeah we'll give it to will i am we've not even mentioned the fia we've just mentioned formula one being weird which is actually my favorite to do though did they it was quite a it was a pretty clean race all you know the only thing they did was give signs the most obvious penalty in the world for speeding in the pit lane like that was i think the only thing they had to do and that's just uh the computer says yeah he's done a speed in the pit lane like okay have a penalty like that was (laughs) it he's done a speed in the pit lane. Yeah, (laughs) yeah yeah i mean yeah so well done fia (laughs) <laughs> it's almost WTF that they haven't found. Yeah, I know they've not had to mention this week. Um, I think <laughs> overall, it, it just has to. I mean, I know. Look, I don't want to like do down them trying to have a bit of fun at the start of a race, but I think if you're gonna do it, then you need to kind of like have everyone on board and mm. make sure it's not like cringe and forced, and it needs to be like a, a better thought through plan if you're gonna do these kind of like big show-stoppy displays at the start of each race so and as well like you can't just pick and choose like and just only do this at the american ones if you're gonna like and and then just say oh well it's what americans do in sport it turns out like formula one's not necessarily a strictly american sport it's kind of a global sport i don't know if you realize as much as they seem to be trying to pretend otherwise sometimes yeah so kind of i'm kind of like let formula one 
have its own identity and have its own come up with its own things that it does don't try to be like all the other sort of overblown sporting events that that things like that suit you know like stuff yeah. like this doesn't necessarily suit formula one so therefore maybe don't try and shoehorn it into it and make it into something that that and is forced fed to us again it is weird because like Oh, clearly, as soon as they described what they were going to do, clearly everyone was like, that just sounds awful and cringy. And it was a, every bit as awful as we expected it to be. And I don't feel like I've seen a lot of Americans being like, that was great. Love that. Dude, really like, glad they pandered to us. Like Even the crowd. Even like... Just uh, like LL, bemused. LL, LL Cool J was there like, make some noise. And it was followed by like stunned <laughs> silence from the crowd. So yeah. that tells you, I think that tells you everything that you, that you need to know about the success of the driver interest. And plus, they've done it before. They did it, it's, you know, it's not like it's, this is a new idea. No, they exactly. The Circuit of the Americas when they first went there. And you know what? Actually, the, the execution that time was really, really good, I thought. It I actually thought it was, was a lot, lot better, better than there, yeah. this. Like, the drivers seemed a lot more into it. It seemed planned. It seemed like there was a, some actual fanfare. This yeah. felt a lot more cobbled together to me. And I would say as a result of that was would be, it was less successful. The other thing as well is like, surely one of the appeals of F1 going to the States is like, this is a global sport that is coming mm-hmm. to your country. Like if IndyCar decided to do a round in the UK, you wouldn't expect IndyCar to turn up and start being British. Like, yeah. You'd like it just would to turn up and start and, and carry on being IndyCar because that's yeah, come why here and that, you're there. be yourselves. That's what yeah. we want to see. So yeah, well, exactly that. Yeah, strange, very strange choices. But there we go. Mm. Should we have a quick talk about predictions? Let's. As is becoming a theme this season, me, you, and Tom have all scored a point each. That's We're having fine. a very okay with that. consistently below average season. This is fine. But more interestingly, our top scorer this week is Paige Henderson, who got four out of five. Paige was the only person to go for 20 finishers and no DNFs. The only thing they got wrong was fastest in Q3. Went for Verstappen, understandably. Understandably. Uh, But four out of five for that race is a heck of a score. It's very impressive. Thanks, Charles. You've saved us a few, Bob, there. Um, in the overall uh, leaderboard, Jeremy Simkin tops the league on 11 points, but then there are six people tied for second, one point behind, including friend of the show, Ashley Foster. And then there's another 16 people, another point behind them. So it's ridiculously close to the top. So wow, it is tight. make sure you're not missing any week's predictions. It's all super open still. And then over in Grid Rival, Festa F1 is the top scorer this week with 1,006 points, which actually takes them into the overall lead on Grid Rival, just 40 points ahead of previous leader Effortlessly. So all very close over there as well. Which all takes us nicely to... Is... Keep it safe now. Stay, stay out. I do enjoy it. I just... I do enjoy that sound clip. Anyway, um, <laughs> first one, uh, I rep MK14 or Mark14, whichever, sure. whichever way you want it. This is, this is a YouTube comment, our first yeah. YouTube comment. Um, they are speaking about sprint races. They say, how about we do sprint and quali, act, sorry, sprint and actual quali on Friday? 
they have a lot of data on their cars and the track already. Don't put them in part ferme and let them make changes ready for the sprint. Then put them in part ferme after the sprint race. So they go into the race race with more setup time, but it's taken from competitive running and the grids will be more mixed up. What do you think? So he's saying do the two qualities back to back. All the qualifying, yeah. Then do the race. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's probably, I think giving them the option after the sprint race to to make changes to the car is probably sensible. I, I don't think it's necessarily great that they're locked into what could be a, that they discover a very poor performing car at that point. So, yeah. yeah. It's tricky because the interest, the, the, the reason Park Ferme adds interest is that it means setup is a balance, right? Anyone can turn up to qualifying, set a car up to be fast over one lap and then turn the next day and set up mm-hmm. the car completely differently to be fast for a race but the fact that you have to have a setup that can do both jobs is a kind of an interesting compromise that the teams have to do so where you insert that point during a sprint weekend is tricky um Mm. i don't hate the idea of just doing all the qualifying on the friday and getting that done you'd probably want to do grand prix qualifying first just in case somebody bins it and then misses out on spring qualifying which would be better than binning it in spring qualifying and missing out on grand prix qualifying i mean i suppose yeah. the response to that is don't crash but yeah but i think look i think really overall i think that i don't think the issue with sprint race weekends is necessarily the order that quali comes in i think there's the, yeah the, i think there's bigger problems with it. there are big problems to fix unfortunately yeah i think that's probably about as much time as we can get that one should do the next one yeah next one from randy mandy hey man cart before the horse i know but where will this season rank in terms of alonso's achievements historically and how about for him personally wow Hmm. it's a a good question probably already pretty up there right it is like the fact that he's proving that he does very much still have the goods is impressive in itself I still personally think the most impressive thing Alonso has done is not in F1. I think his first Le Mans victory, where he got in the car, having never driven at night before, or maybe done like a handful of practice laps, and he went out to do a night stint and was just the fastest man on track by like a margin and just like pumped in this monster stint in the dark was wildly impressive like it only maybe done two or three races in that car before that point as well um that is wild that's really really wild that he could there are a lot of high points in his career there's a lot of low points in his career but a lot of highs as well yeah it, I think he's, first, the, he's, he's like a walking talking meme generator he it? really is yeah he's very much embraced this like new version of himself which yeah. I've, I've got a lot of time for hmm. um yeah but uh, yeah in answer to the question like uh, but specifically about this season, I think oh, I think pretty highly. I think let's see where they end up at the end of the season, obviously. But so far, so good, right? Like they're the yeah. second best car, the second fastest, they're second in the championship, they're second, the third in the in the drivers' championship, I believe. Um, yeah, they are. Um, yeah, so best of the rest so far um, yeah. in a car that wasn't necessarily the best of the rest in any of its previous years no, by a long not way. for a long so, time. Yeah, it's good to see. Uh, next one, Darth Kilowog says, Hola Hermanos. <laughs> That's 
Isn't that Hello Brothers? Um, In Spanish, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. I'll take it. Given his struggles, do you think Nick... Oh, here we go again. (laughs) Do you think Nick DeVries finishes the season at Alvatari when he does eventually lose a seat? Who do you think might replace him? And then there's a link to the... uh, I'll drop that in there for our benefit. (laughs) Or was that you driving? I thought he'd given us that. (laughs) I mean, I said last week that I, I don't think he'll get replaced, but I do think... I don't think he won't get replaced mid-season. I do think he'll struggle to see a second season. Um, I mean, it's a long way to go. Maybe he'll turn things around. Yeah. I think if you want to know what I think about that, go back and listen to last week's episode. Yeah, but we I talked about it a bit like, then. If, if we need to... If we're replacing him, then probably Dennis Hauger. Dennis Hauger and Liam Lawson are probably the most likely candidates, aren't they? Yeah, I think even even of those two, I still think Dennis Hager is more likely to get that seat. I think he just seems like the the Red Bull package, I guess. Like it's and and it's almost about it's just about the right time for him to be making a move up into a Formula One team as well, maybe this season or next season. So yeah, I would um, of of the pick of the all of all of the Red Bull drive, junior drivers, I would say I would say him. Liam Lawson's in that dreaded we've got nowhere else for you right now so we'll send you off to do super formula point of his career and not not every driver comes back from that Mm. as a young driver uh next question from sorry just well well, did Liam Lawson do anything in F2 or did they did he Liam Lawson yeah he was he didn't win any titles but he came let me find it He's done two seasons. Um, he was ninth in his first season and third in his second. So yeah, you know, so, mm, I I would say not quite enough compared to no. Dennis Hager, who's won the F three championship. He was third to uh, Felipe Drogovic, who we know is now Aston Martin reserve, and Teo Porcher, who I think is. He's currently leading F2 and he's going to be in F1 within the next few years for sure. Mm. Right, next one? Yeah. From Benson. Hey man, do you think the lack of overtaking this season compared to last is something that can be remedied this season? Or will we have to wait for another technical regulation change to undo some of the damage the FAA seem to have done with how easy it is to follow this season? It's weird because we've just said this race had like, what was it, 60 overtakes? So, I think we'll know better at the end of the season, right? Like, or at least <laughs> we need to get probably halfway through the season before we can start saying for certain whether or not um, these regulations have had such a detrimental effect on overtaking. I think the circuits that we've been to so far, I know what you feel. I feel like, Chris, you feel like there is a lot less overtaking, but I just think. And I only say that because it was your stat that we used to before to, to point <laughs> this out as a piece of news. So, you know, correct me there if I'm if I'm backing up the wrong tree. But I I think later in the season we'll have a better idea. Let's just get to some proper racetracks and get more way through the season. Because all of these early early races have have had something about them that has somehow made them into a weird outlier, if you know what yeah. I mean. There's been no, some condition or something happened to make each race a bit a little bit strange and we're only probably Miami is the, is the closest we've come to uh, just a regular old formula one race 
And it so, wasn't that at all. So And it wasn't that, yeah, exactly. So I think the next one maybe I mean, we're overdue a regular old Formula One race and I I can't I can't wait for it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Im- Imola does have a habit of producing pretty garden variety regular Grand Prix, so <laughs> it's the sparrow of Formula One. <laughs> Uh, the next one is from Charlotte. I've got loads this week. The next one's from Charlotte Taylor. She says, I really enjoyed the race and was surprised to see so many people online saying it was boring. Why did a race with lots of overtaking and different strategies not come across as exciting as it should have done? That's an interesting question. It is. And it's one I've been mulling over having seen how much people did seem to enjoy it. And I can't quite work out why it didn't necessarily work for me. I think I'm pretty bored of one-stop strategy races where the choices are do you do the softer tire then the hard one or the hard if i'm knowing that do you do the medium then the hard or the hard then the medium because the soft tires rarely get a look in Mm. i think something around tire usage maybe needs a tweak or like tire life and stuff but yeah um do you know what if the majority of people enjoyed that race i'm happy to be in the minority yeah, I mean, I thought it was okay. Like, I thought it was better than last week's race. Definitely more seemed to happen. There was there was more. It was more tense race, I think, than last season, last week, and also just there just there did seem to be a lot more action. It wasn't perfect, I don't think, and I think maybe the broadcast could have done a little bit more to show some of yeah. the action going on throughout the race. I think that is a big part of the problem here, but. I still think like it did have the the sense of tension to it and <laughs> and poise to it that that I do enjoy in in Formula One racing and I do enjoy watching the lap times tick down and comparing the two you know the two competing drivers. It was ent- to me it was just as entertaining watching those laps being posted <laughs> every lap and seeing who was going quicker at what point and then trying to work out when the overtake was going to happen then it was actually seeing the, the 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 racing on track, which is maybe why I felt like maybe that's why I missed half the action on track was because I was looking at that time <laughs> thing, the, the whole race. But um I like those race I like those kind of races. That is my sort of style of following those kind of races and it and that's what entertains me. So yeah, you know, tell yeah. me I'm wrong in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's fair. Uh final question this week from Rat. Hey guys, has this has the cost cap hamstrung the progression of top teams towards the best possible car, or are we just seeing a repeat of twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen? That obviously referencing mm. the Mercedes dominance years. Um, yeah, I think if the top teams had all the money in the world to spend, it wouldn't be any different because they'd all all have in the they would all equally have all of the money in the world to spend, so the gap wouldn't change. Yeah. The gap between the top teams wouldn't change. The gap between the top teams and the rest would get a lot bigger. Yeah. And that's the problem. So, yeah. yeah. So we're solving a different problem here to what this question describes, I think. I think potentially the cost cap is making it harder for teams that start the season badly to close the gap and catch up. But again, we're only in the second season of the cost cap. Last season, in many ways, was a bit of a 
sort of dress rehearsal for it. So it's going to take a few years to properly see the effect it will have. Like, I, I still believe that the Red Bull's limited um, CFD and wind tunnel time is going to affect them more next year than it is this year. So we're still kind of seeing exactly how it's playing out. Yep. It's a barge, not a speedboat. It's going to take time for <laughs> all of this stuff to to sort of show itself and to be steered onto the correct course. Yeah, I so, like that. Yeah. Uh, and that is about all we've got this week. Um, so no F1 for a couple of weeks. We'll be back next week to preview uh, Imola, which I assume is called the Emilia Romagna and then like 20 other words Grand Prix again because they like to have the longest names in the business. Yeah. Uh, there is, though, if you want a racing fix, Extreme Ease back this weekend. It's the Hydro XP in Scotland. Um, I believe it's called the Hydro XP because it is happening by a hydroelectric Damn. power plant and some wind turbines, I guess. Uh, but that's a double sure. header. takes place on Saturday and Sunday. So that's normally a good watch. Uh, there was also Formula E in Monaco at the weekend. If you missed that, it's well worth watching the... In fact, I'd say you rewatch the whole race, not even the highlights. It was a very entertaining race. Uh, and there's also IndyCar this weekend. They're at um, Indianapolis to do the Grand Prix road course. Um, and then right after that, they start on the Indy 500 practice. So that's such a fun track you know it's super cool yeah it's a great track the uh the road car course definitely yeah. check that out and if you if you've got gran turismo go and <laughs> if you haven't already you probably learned that track already by now but if you haven't, yeah. go and do it it's really good for go you. do some laps but yeah that is all for now uh you can obviously contact us in all the usual places facebook twitter um instagram YouTube. uh yes remind that the show is now on youtube if you want to see our faces we've had lots of people write in to say none of us look what they expect us to look like, which is <laughs> par for the course with podcasts. Also, a lot of people saying they still find it hard to like tell our voices apart, which surprises me because I feel like we all sound very different. But again, we all hear each other all the time. So that's a fun yeah. new thing we're learning about. That is a um, fun one. But, but yeah, give least, that a watch. Um, yeah, watch it from the start and see us introduce ourselves and you'll know what our name is. <laughs> put a name to the voice. Uh, also on Instagram, we've been sticking little clips of the shows as well in little bite-sized forms if you want to have a look at that as well, if that's your kind of thing. But I think that's all the stuff we need to mention. So as I say, we'll be back next week to preview Imola. But until then, thanks everyone for listening and goodbye. Bye.